Hey everybody, want to welcome you back to the bonus episode, technically the 18th episode of the Horror Lab podcast, where we dissect the best in horror movies each and every week. I'm your co-host, Will, and I actually have a co-host, Chris, who's always here, thankfully, and a special returning guest. John Pyle is back in the mix. See? John Pyle, guys. So if uh, if you've been listening to us f- for any length of time, uh, or even if you haven't, John did our third episode where we we sort of did a deep dive into Halloween from 1978, the original John Carpenter classic. Over the last few months, uh, John and I especially have been exchanging some messages related to the new Halloween trilogy. He has a pretty fascinating Mm. alternative storyline to make those movies better. We're going to spend a lot of the bulk of our time in this episode sort of unpacking that, maybe digging through some some ideas there. We're going to talk about this new Halloween trilogy, which I feel conflicted about, and I'm sure a lot of you probably feel conflicted about because it's equal parts really good. Like there's some things that are terrific. And then there are some things that are just mold at the bottom of the wastebasket. Bad. Mm. All right. So I have seen all three movies. Chris, have you seen all three Halloween movies yet? No. So I was crunch on time. So I only saw the first and third one. So I saw Halloween and I saw Halloween ends. All right. So you saw the bookends. Yeah. And uh, right. Will said I could skip yeah. Halloween Kills, so I just obeyed him. <laughs> I, I agree. I'll, I'll get into it in a second, but yeah. That's part of why you like Halloween Ends, because you skipped Halloween Kills. I think you're right. Oh, is that right? I think yeah. you're right. I, I think I was telling, so we started this episode about 10 minutes ago. We've only recorded about two minutes because I forgot to hit record. Um, but I was saying that if you've never seen Halloween Kills, which is the second movie in the trilogy, you're not really missing a whole lot. The The movie is sort of like a, a love letter, like an homage to Michael Myers. It's just an hour and 45 minutes of him going on a rampage in Haddonfield. There's not much storyline there. And what, what storyline is there is sort of bloated and, uh, and not super helpful to either the first part or the third. So I felt like it was a, a missed opportunity. Yeah. Well, they're kind of telling an opposite story of the third in the sense of like Michael Myers has infected the whole town and the whole town is bloodthirsty. And like you have this mob mentality that was really interesting from a sociopolitical standpoint, but it doesn't pay off anything. And it just leads you to a false ending where it's like the town took out Michael Myers. No, he's back. And, and so it, it doesn't add to this trilogy in that it was, it, it, it didn't contribute to me anything to Halloween ends. And it should have, especially that the time gap between Halloween kills and Halloween ends is I think four years, right? Or, or it, yeah, it's a number, it's a span of time, a number of years between, between movies. So they really had a chance to make a really long bridge to sort of connect these ideas. And I, I think the movie, I think the movie missed an opportunity to, to deal with it sort of deals with it, but then it reverts to like this really bad caricature of what trauma is and what trauma does to people in societies and communities. I think Chris and I have said it in, in past episodes that the best horror movies, they, they navigate complex conversations in sort of deft ways in helpful ways mm. and maybe contribute to a conversation. I feel like this movie detracted from maybe an, a needed conversation and Halloween kills was just, bad outside of it being a not a great movie it it took what could have been an opportunity to sort of create character arcs 
and it flattened those characters. The uh, Lindsay and Tommy characters from the original movie in 78, they introduced them, they set them up as, and then they just, they stomped on them with, (laughs) you know, with a steamroller and they didn't do anything with those characters. And then in the third movie, Lindsay's character is non-existent. Like she's there, but way on the periphery of, of the story when I feel like that was an opportunity to sort of bring them in, usher in some measure of uh, catharsis. I don't know. I, I, I have so many yeah. complex thoughts and I love Halloween. Yeah. The first, the first movie was so good. I know it was. And I, I think it, it dealt with trauma in an interesting way of, you know, you have this crazy grandmother who's ruined her entire family around this thing. And then the thing happens and we see kind of at the end, Judy Greer's character, like she's crying and it's like, you think she's going to be a victim. And then she's like, no, my mom has taught me how to shoot. And I'm like, she prepared me for this moment. And there's the three of them riding in the back of the truck, holding the knife. If you'd ended it there, I would have been completely happy. I agree. That would have been perfect. But then they did, they did this like, uh, and Chris, I know you haven't seen Halloween kills, but the second movie picks up immediately after the first movie ends. So in the original series, I realized this new trilogy was supposed to wipe out everything after the original Halloween. The original Halloween and then Halloween 2 picks up side by side, right? It's it's just one continuous night. That They sort of pick up that idea in, in the first mm-hmm. one and in Halloween Kills. But it's like, I feel like that whole movie could have just been done in flashbacks. Like a quick ten minute. Here's you know a prologue to the to Halloween ends. This is what happened. Michael Myers escapes. He goes on a rampage, and then he sort of goes into hiding. No one knows where he is, and you pick up the third movie there. That could have literally been the ending of the first movie. It's true. It, that's that's true too. Yeah, that's very true too. Like they could have taken another five or ten minutes at the end of the first movie and just sped up that part of it, and then picked up that. But I realize you know cash cows being what they are studios exist primarily to make money. Right. The uh, entertainment factor is definitely secondary to the bottom line figures. At the end of the day, you had to make the second movie and you had to make it entertaining and you had to, you had to make it a situation where Michael Myers seems to get the upper hand and, you know, Haddonfield is just a victim of all of it. Yeah. It's your Empire Strikes Back. Like the second movie has to be the one that bridges the gap and makes it really interesting. And it just it kind of fell down once you decided it was going to be a trilogy. And then you shifted in the third movie and it's like, well, you had some interesting ideas in the third movie, especially compared to the second movie. But they didn't have enough time to bake. I heard someone say um, the Halloween trilogy is similar to the uh, the new Star Wars trilogy that came out where. You had The Force Awakens, which was sort of this throwback, a lot of Easter eggs to the original, right? And then The Last Jedi was such a departure from what Star Wars was, and people really reacted against it. A lot of folks viewed Halloween Ends as sort of The Last Jedi in similar ways that it mm. just seems seems out of place. Like, it's not – it's unfamiliar. It's not, you know, necessarily treading hallowed ground as much as just trying to forge its own, but it, it sort of falls flat. I love The Last Jedi. Me too. I love The Last Jedi. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> – all right. Yeah. All right. Okay. We've got consensus. some listeners are gonna like automatically just exit gonna... out, and I was like, "This I know, is, this I know." Is <laughs> Sorry, guys. This might be where you take the exit ramp. That's okay. Um, you'll you'll come back. <laughs> oh, you'll be back. So you will. So so, Chris, you you hadn't seen 
the new trilogy until recently. What was your initial sort of take on it? What was your initial reaction response to it? You know, I thought it was inclusive, you know, making this uh, almost a geriatric movie with older folks. <laughs> uh, you know, when I saw the, the fight at the end, <laughs> you know, that epic showdown with uh, Laurie and Michael in the third movie, I'm like, these people are like 70 years old. <laughs> I thought the first one was really well done. And um, I appreciate how before we started recording, uh, Will and I talked about the team behind this movie is uh, the people behind like Pineapple Express, David Gordon Green and Danny McBride. And they kind of evolved yeah. as creators and, and as uh, screenwriters. And so I thought mm-hmm. they took some really good ideas. I thought they tried to play homage to the original without doing too much fan service. And so, yeah, I, I thought yeah. the first one was really great, how they kind of flip-flop Michael and Lori's um, roles as a hunter and hunted. Uh, granted, I thought some of, this mo- some of these movies were really uh, cheesy. So I was actually laughing out loud at certain parts. <laughs> so, you know, like Halloween ends. It was so bad. I was laughing hysterically on, on, on the train. You know, when the little kid dies, falls off the stage. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It's actually kind of funny. Yeah, when Jeremy gets hit really hard by the yeah. door and falls. and uh, yeah. Or even when Michael gets, you know, becomes meat grinder Michael at the end of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I was like, I was like, am I supposed to take this seriously? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's the okay. It's the way the body falls. <laughs> the know. kid's body falls, and the okay because I'm also the guy though that laughed at the Titanic when the priest <laughs> fell off the boat and hit the pole on the way down because it the ding sound that it makes is like <laughs> boom, like, and I was the only one in the theater laughing. So I might not be yeah. the right person but these guys clearly have a sense of humor. The filmmakers yeah. do have a yeah. sense of humor, and you see it in some of their perspective. You mentioned the the body fall and. He fell straight down. There was like no flailing. It was like a straight down drop. <laughs> yeah. But I want to know, beautiful home, right? Probably a multi-million dollar home. Who the hell puts a door that opens up flush with the balcony, with the with the railing? Like, mm. Come on now. Plot holes, guys. I realize we got to progress the story forward. All these things. I'm with it. No doubt there's probably in real life six feet, eight feet worth of clearance. That kid must have like flailed backwards 10 steps <laughs> before falling yeah. straight down. Okay. Well, he clearly was knocked out because he didn't flail. Right. So he got hit and flew. Right. Yeah. Just, I, I think part yeah. of his nose was missing too. <laughs> oh, now listen, I have, I have, so like, I, re- I realize listeners can't see my face, but I have on each side of my, the tip of my eyebrow, I have scars from actually getting hit with with doors in the side of my eye yeah (laughs) klutzy teenager kind of thing okay and uh i will say my first reaction wasn't to throw myself off a third story balcony my first reaction (laughs) was to cover my face because that junk hurts okay i wish they could do a mythbusters episode to calculate just how like on the physics of it yeah just how hard and how fast that door must have swung to yes. pull him eight feet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's that's a good point. So like there I, I heard, you know, an action movie where, you know, uh they they pump a shotgun and they shoot a you know person gets shot with a shotgun and they fly yeah. back twenty feet. I, I watched I think it was might have been Myth Mythbusters. They were saying that the uh the way physics works 
is that both parties would have been thrown the equidistance, right? So like, <laughs> so they both would have, flown. yeah, they both would have flown 20. So like the person who gets shot flies back, but then the person who does the shooting flies back equally. <laughs> All right. We're on a tangent. That's my fault. I'm so many plot holes. Joke. I know so many plot holes. <laughs> um, all right. So, so back to the first, back to the first movie. Okay. I, I loved it. I watched it last night. I was telling Chris earlier that I, I, I started it way too late and I woke up really groggy this morning. Um, I loved it. I loved what they did with it. My favorite scene in the movie is the, uh, the long tracking shot when he first gets into Haddonfield and mm. uh, he's sort of walking through, you know, the sidewalks and then through the houses, that single tracking shot was terrific. Um, maybe my favorite out of all of the Halloween movies. And so I, I thought that was really well done. I, I thought a couple of the, uh, the scene where the kid gets impaled on the, the gate. Oh yeah. Um, that was good. I thought that scene with mm. the, uh, with the sensor light was super effective for just creepy. So good. Um, I even found myself like not really wanting to watch that scene when it got to it, because I was like, ah, uh, just, Freaks me out just yeah. a little bit, this you know, hiding in the it. shadows. <laughs> yeah. And it, it's like, you know, you, you, you've become accustomed watching the first one to seeing Michael Myers only in the shadows. Yeah. That shadow view is super, super effective. I think the rest of the movie sort of did away with that. Michael in the shadows. Yeah. Strength. Yeah. It just made Michael, you know, explicitly like in the light and hunting people. Yeah. So I had two thoughts. So I was like, number one, when did Michael learn how to drive? You know, <laughs> six-year-old. That's goes, a good point. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, he drives really well. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a whole thing in the first movie, right? The original where they're like, and he taught him how to drive. <laughs> right. He was doing a good job last night. It's so true. Dude, I miss Loomis's like mania in in these movies. There's yes, no Loomis just character. Really comes it up. Oh, man. <laughs> I don't try to um, recreate his voice for the first movie, but it sounded yeah. like, you know, someone was like in a comedy sketch. It's like, Maka is Pia Abel. <laughs> it's like, you have to kill him. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, what? Hey. are you making fun uh, of Donald Pleasance? So, please don't. I, yeah. think, I think it's in Halloween Kills. They do a flashback to the original movie. I think it might be in Halloween mm-hmm. Ends, where they de-age footage of Loomis and, you know, some of the characters. Um, and it's not great. Yeah. It's not a, it, it has an artificial, a very artificial feel to it. Doesn't feel like it's should belong in the movie. If it, it sort of, I don't know, has this disconnected feel to, yeah. and I realized what they were going for. But I, again, I feel like if they had made some different choices with that second movie, it sets up that third movie to be super satisfying. I, I feel like, they could have just made all three movies into one movie. They could have. They could have. Okay. Are you ready for my insane like theory? Yeah, do it. That's what we're here for. Okay. Yes. Okay. Because I, when I watched Halloween ends and I watched it again to make sure that it wasn't just, Hey, I watched it in the theater and blah, blah, blah. Also, I sent my wife a screenshot of Lori and Michael holding hands. Cause it looks exactly like the pride and prejudice. <laughs> <holding hands. laughs> uh, of, like that, that scene. And uh, it was funny because she'd watched Pride and Prejudice the night before. Anyway, uh, and I watched it and I I just got this completely insane, like, this is how they could have fixed it. I try not to do, like, fan movie stuff, but I'm an insane horror movie fan. So this is what it is. So, okay, here's my pitch. 
I, I think what they did with Corey was interesting, but to introduce him in the third movie, that's too yeah, much. I agree. Okay. So here it is. Corey should have been Allison's boyfriend in the first movie. Like wh- why do we even have that character that doesn't really do anything except that he connects to Lonnie, uh, which you could have easily made it the same person. Right. So everything about the second movie starts the same. He escapes the firemen, blah, 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 blah. Except he kind of goes, we move from second movie to third movie and that Michael barely escapes. He's barely wounded. He crawls in the hole from Halloween ends and he's like, okay, Lori almost killed him. So it gives full credence to the first movie of like, this was severe. He was just caught in a fire. Corey is still this outcast. Right. And he's, getting messed with because he's even though he's what's her face's boyfriend he's kind of weird he rushes to the hospital and he's like hey i saw michael go into the hole like let's go get him and nobody believes him and so michael eventually leaves the hole and goes back to the house because that's where he's always going to go right finally Corey convinces everybody to go check out the hole and he's not there and everybody's like, this guy's freaking nuts and continues to isolate him more. And his dad believes him, though. So Corey and Lonnie go to the house to try to get him while the whole town is out freaking out trying to figure that out. So there's like a whole suspenseful hunt at the Myers house. Something spooks Corey. And here's the the cha- the big change. He accidentally kills his dad when people are there. And so people see him kill Lonnie, right? And so there's a whole thing of like the same guilt that he's carrying from killing this random kid and throwing him off a balcony 10 feet from the door, uh, whatever that is. (laughs) But like he's clearly done something wrong and he was scared he did it, blah, blah, blah. All right. Now he's completely broken. Michael goes back to the hole. He's still not 100%. All right. Now, okay, this is all second movie still, right? Corey's totally like gone and he knows where Michael is. He knows that he's not full strength. So he goes and then he kills Michael, takes the mask and is like, look, I did it. And then he brings it to her family and is like, look, I killed Michael Myers. The nightmare's over. I did all this. But her family's actually creeped out and are just like, what are you doing, buddy? Like you just killed a bunch of, you killed Lonnie, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, he freaks out, kills Allison's mom, just like at the end of the second movie. And he starts on his new killing spree. So he is the the new new Michael Michael Myers. Myers. All right. Movie three is him becoming more Michael-ish and he's still hunting down Lori and, and Allison. And the ending is set up kind of similarly. Corey comes for them. Lori sacrifices herself for Allison and is like, oh, I'm going to save my granddaughter. But then the surprise comes, the hooting and hollering moment in the movie. OG Michael shows up and takes Corey out. Right. OG, like, can you imagine the audience like cheering of like OG Michael taking the pretender out and he kills Corey. Right. And Corey gets discarded and nobody thinks about him. Lori and Michael have their showdown. Allison saves Lori just like it was in the movie. They have the weird handholding. <laughs> That's fine. Uh, it, like uh, we could kill. That's fine. It works. They like have a weird trauma bond or whatever. A uh, soul tie, right? I don't know. We can still keep the crusher. That's fine. We get rid of Michael once and for all. Lori and Allison get back to the home, and Corey's body is gone. And that's when the music hits. You hear the breathing in the alley shot, and there's a new Michael Myers. I love it. 
Oh, so Corey doesn't die. Okay. Yeah, he's dead, right? Michael kills him, but then he's now whatever. And then you could have the whole like, well, did he really not die? Or did when Michael was in the crusher, did his spirit go like whatever? You have the whole thing of supernatural. Why is this person still living? And you kind of reboot if you want to take it any further with Corey as the shape. I would be even satisfied if they didn't make any movies after that, but it just sort of left this lingering question of what's what's next right i mean yeah so i i like i like the idea of introducing Corey earlier and i also like the idea especially given some of the pitfalls of the movies not connecting Corey and allison by way of trauma like their trauma bonding yeah. is the, is not the foundation for their relationship but there seems to be some kindred spirit you know sort sort of a i hate to use the word normal but a typical what a typical relation or healthy relationship would look like. I'm intrigued. I feel like when you, when you get big with your voiceover work, you should pitch <laughs> yeah. this alternate idea yes. and yes. get them to redo this. <laughs> We're going to reboot it. And this time, like the plot points don't matter as much as if we had introduced Corey in the first movie, so much of the criticism the movie would have worked better because it would have been this guy that we actually care about and have seen survive difficult situations versus rando weirdo that killed a kid that we don't in this cold open that like is disconnected from everything that they had to time jump to do. Right. Because it was like, I think that was from the same time as the first movie, the time jump is in Halloween ends. And it's like, okay, you're clearly retrofitting yeah, here. For sure. This just tells me that you didn't know what you were going to do for the third that's movie. A, that's a good way to describe it. I felt like across the board, outside of maybe the first one, that the uh, they got all hype about, we're going to redo these, right? We're going to make the definitive sequels to Halloween. And then once the hype wore off and like the adrenaline settled down, they sat in a room and they scratched their heads and they were like, so what now? And it, yeah. it, it had that some of the disjointedness, especially again, Halloween kills to me is the, just the worst of the three. It feels like it feels like not enough uh, attention was given to the story arc from start mm-hmm. to finish. And it felt more like they were reacting sort of moment by moment. Well, let's do this. Oh man, we should try this. Like, Oh, wouldn't it be awesome if we did this here? Like rather than having this beginning with the end in mind of what the trilogy could have maybe should have been right. But I, I like the alternative timeline. I, you know, I didn't realize in the, uh, in the first movie, when he first gets into Haddonfield, they show you uh, a bunch of characters that end up dying in Halloween kills. So like uh, the, the couple that's dressed as the, uh, I think the nurse and the mm. doctor um, yep. that gets killed in the car later on. They show them very briefly. There's this like five or six second exchange between them. While we were talking, I looked it up. These movies made about $500 million. Each? No, total. Uh, no, total. Total. So $250 million plus for the first one. Ooh, and a tiny budget. Uh, it's like only $10 million. A $20 million per movie. Yeah, like maybe $20 million per movie. And so you're spending $60 million to make the movie. You made $250 million on the first one. You made over a hundred million on the second one and over a hundred million on the third. And so you're looking at roughly like five hundred million dollars from a sixty million dollar investment. And so they did their job. They did their job. Even if it they wasn't a critical success. You know, and, yeah. and if I remember right, Halloween Kills was uh released on was it Peacock or Paramount? 
Yes, because it was during COVID. Yeah. And so the other thing that you have to keep in mind, like that I'm trying to like, because I do care, but these filmmakers are really good filmmakers generally, and I like what they do. Like COVID messed a lot sure. of this up. Um, because the original, the the first one in this trilogy, like it released when everything was kind of normal, like $250 million, a ton of money, ton of money. And I love Bloomhouse and what they do generally with horror movies. And so they clearly had the right strategy, but to have to release the second one in the pandemic, I think jacked with not only its earnings, but it seems like with a story to some degree. Yeah. Maybe it just felt like they were rushing to get it out. And they had to cut some corners, you know. If the the new trilogy was intended to wipe away the old the old movies, right? Well, if you go in with that mindset, you have to sort of start with a whiteboard, a blank whiteboard that says Michael Myers is a, a sort of superhuman, supernatural killer, right? Because my initial thought yeah. was, well, if you want to see Michael Myers just kill people, like watch Halloween two through eight yeah, and you don't need to worry about Halloween kills. But if the intent was to wipe away those, those sequels, the the goal would be 1978, 2018, 2022. Then you, you sort of need to see Michael Myers going on a rampage to prove he's this big baddie that needs to be, you know, wiped out that kind of thing. I get that. I don't like that. (laughs) But I I get it. I, I do for sure. So I liked in the third one, Chris, you, you watched Halloween ends. What did you think of Corey's character? You know, I thought it was kind of rushed. You know, I do like John's idea where you kind of portrayed the tragedy of Corey throughout three movies and um, kind of pick up, like really flesh out this tragic idea is tragic flaw. So I don't know. It felt more like first connection I made when I was watching this movie is Tobey Maguire's transformation in Spider-Man 3 where it becomes like so confident and like this dude wants to just get laid and I'm like where is this coming from and so um, I don't know I think there's a fascination in culture with people wanting to understand why you know serial killers become the way they do it's like voyeuristic and yeah there's not really good reasons why you know, people become psychopaths, you know? So I remember I was reading a book about the, the Columbine massacre and they were like, you know, was it the video games or was it like the influences? But, you know, the Columbine killers, they actually came from really good families, you know, mm-hmm. full nuclear families. And um, yeah, there was almost no way to stop them from becoming the way they became. And so, um, which is kind of scary to me, but um, yeah, yeah, I think the fact they tried to explain how this evil came about wasn't really well done. I think it fell onto some pretty lame horror movie tropes. And so I think, you know, John talking about how the infection that evil carries on, and I think they kind of alluded to it because, you know, the title of Laurie's memoir was uh, Serial Killer Saviors in Sanheim. So apparently that's an allusion Mm. to the Curse of Thorn. Or the fifth and sixth yeah. movies. Shout out to Halloween six. Yes. They weren't supposed to do, guys. <laughs> it was so awful. Yeah. I think they should have ended with four. Because four kind of carries the same idea, you know? Oh, man. The mm-hmm. one with Paul Rudd is my favorite. Yeah, that's the sixth one, right? Is that? Yeah. I yeah, think yeah, it's yeah, the, yeah, yeah. It, the Curse of Michael Myers. Yeah. Oh, it's so bad. <laughs> but it's so good. <laughs> and he's the same. Yeah. As he always is. 
Uh, he's Ant Man. He's Ant in Haddonfield. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Man, what was they saying? It would have been cool if Court had survived, and instead of putting Michael through an incinerator, they should have just buried him, like he mm. was just like a normal guy once the evil spirit yeah. left him. So it it almost makes me think about you know I know I know she's not popular anymore, but you know when Jake and Rowling wrote Voldemort's death, and he just flops on on the ground like like just any other human being. Mm. I feel like they should have done that to Michael. Because I, I think the, the trilogy kind of hints that there's some kind of supernatural power to Michael and his evil. And so, you know, the fact that, you know, when Michael kills in the third one, you know, by the time he's in the sewer, he's really weak, he's limping around. But he starts gaining all this supernatural energy back once he starts killing people. I thought mm-hmm. they should have made Corey still survive somehow, you know? So yeah. I thought there were some missed opportunities there. But I did like the fact that the movie doesn't quite excuse Corey's behavior because, you know, he's given multiple opportunities to get help and he keeps rejecting them. So that's what I liked. That's really interesting about your your thoughts on Michael sort of deriving his power from the act of killing. I, based on the first one, especially that the opening 10 minutes of the first movie, I sort of interpreted his power deriving from the mask, from wearing the mask. But maybe it's uh it's not an either or, maybe it's a both and. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I think it's I think it's part of the ritual, right? So when it comes to rituals, there's like places and they they reiterate a lot of place in all of the Halloweens of like he comes back to the house. Right. right? That's it. That's the thing. So there's places, there's like the costume and like the if you think of it as like a religious sense, right? The mask is part of his like priestly garb. Yeah, it's almost like a vestment almost. Like he's. Yeah, like he's got to have the full. Because I don't think he kills without the mask. I don't think um, he does. And, and so it's I mean, like. He does try to kill Laurie at the oh, end. Oh, he does. Yeah. Which, he does kill which without the mask. was such a ridiculous scene because yeah. his hand is almost. Yeah. I was like, dude, you have no nerves. <laughs> Your tendons are completely yeah. split. <laughs> How do you even work yeah. that thing? He does but try he to can't kill. kill he does the try mask. to kill. With, he does kill without the mask. In the first one, uh, he kills the the two podcasters. Oh yeah, in yes. the, uh, I guess in the bathroom to get the to mask. get the mask. Right. So there is this. I don't know. Is that a? But is that it a seems plot like hole? the. Do you think? Yeah, I don't. Well, but here's the thing. I don't think it's a plot hole because you have this like, why did he stop killing for this amount right. of time? And they show the mask. And so clearly in that first movie, the mask like stirs his whatever. Yeah. Whatever we're calling it. That's the thing where he's like, if I get that thing back on, I'm in full power. But the murder seems to empower him in the third movie. And so it's like that. It's like the ritual of like, I put on my mask. I do my murder. I'm back to who I am. Yeah. Which it does have this vaguely supernatural, superhuman yeah. part to it, where he gains power through murdering. Which I, that's an interesting idea. Like, go with it. But we're already getting two different things right. from the first and the third movie. Of like, the first movie is very much like the mask. The mask is the thing. And when Corey steal, does Corey steal the mask? In he the does. Yeah, he, he does. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah, he like he he beats. Yeah. I think he and pushes him. Yeah, he beats up <laughs> this him. you know older gentleman, this geriatric man, which is not cool. Yeah. And then he steals his mask. Yeah. <laughs> and you're just Elder like, abuse, okay, man. is it the mask? Yeah. Is it the killing? Because Corey brings the officer down yeah. there as like a like get your power back because the officer is about to like kill Michael. Right. 
that's what they at least make it seem like he's winning that struggle until Corey intervenes. And I, it, it gets real. Like it's to me, I think Halloween is at best when it is kind of mushy and like, you don't know. It's more interesting when it's a mystery. Like you don't know if it's the curse of the thorn. Is it supernatural or is this just a dude? And when you blend all those things together, I think that's interesting. But when you do too much with it, you start to have to ask questions and that does not do it does not help this new trilogy yeah. when we have to ask questions. I feel like they tried to humanize Michael a little bit whereas the first one, you know, the 1978 movie sort of uh it when I say dehumanize, I don't I don't mean it in the negative sense, but it it took his humanity yeah. away and replaced it with this supernatural like dude was shot x number of times like how does he survive multiple rounds from clo- you know what I mean? And so yeah, this one sort of I, I realize Michael's getting older and, you know, he ages like humans do and that kind of thing. But the, the, uh, maybe the allure, I don't know if allure is the right word, the allure of Michael Myers, the mystery, the mystique of Michael Myers yeah. was that he was beyond human. And so mm. for me, I felt like the humanizing of him almost made him a sympathetic character where at the end of the day, we're still dealing with, you know, in movie lore, one of the, you know, worst villains in movie history. Right. So I, yeah. I didn't, I think, I didn't like that so much. Sure. Like I didn't want to have any sort of empathy for Michael. I didn't want to feel slightly bad that, you know, she basically tortured him before he died. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, though, and, yeah. and maybe that's my own conscience, but like, I wanted, I wanted to be detached from those, from those feelings. <laughs> well, it's also weird. Cause it's like, why are you filleting grandpa right. on the kitchen Island? Right. Like, that's what Chris, I mean, said. he's, yeah. he's like a 70 something old man. Like, <laughs> and, and I guess the difference, I, they didn't do a good job of going like, here's the shape, right? Because right. so much of what the first movie does is it's not Michael Correct. Myers. He's the shape. Correct. And when his mask gets pulled off, he just looks like a scared yeah. kid. Yeah. Like it, it it freaks you out because she's like, Oh, that's just a scared kid. But he puts the mask back on and he's the shape figure. And by humanizing yeah. him, there is a set being a human. You empathize with, with them to go. Yeah. If he has to put this, if he puts this mask on and he turns into this crazy killer, but he's not actually that he's just somebody's grandpa right. that were slitting his throat. Like, yeah, it, it feels you. If he's not in control at all of this, then he's a victim. Yeah. It's, did it's you guys? True. Sorry, did you guys notice? I I laughed when they showed how he was pinned down. It almost looked like he was in de- doing a dance move on the table like this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wish you could see me. Yeah, he was almost doing like the. Ch- oh. <laughs> yeah. Oh, grandpa. <laughs> I wonder if it was uh, if it was intended to be like a chalk outline. You know, like oh you yeah, see crime scene photos. Oh yeah, and it's that's like a good point. Yeah. A chalk outline. I wonder if that was sort of the idea. Like this is his death hmm. scene. Yeah. You know without actually going that far. I, I, man. So the, the final showdown to me, I liked it because I I felt like it was satisfying to watch Lori do her thing and finally have justice and have that sense of anxiety be dealt with. Awesome. I, I also felt like it, it was unsatisfying in some ways because the movie wasn't a cat and mouse. I, Mm. I wish there were, cause like after the first movie, Chris, I, uh, again, I know you haven't seen the second one, but in Halloween Kills, like Michael and Lori never have a face to face. She's in the hospital. Oh, He's rampaging weird. Haddonfield. Yeah. And so 
they don't use the second movie to set up that cat and mouse hunter hunted, you know, predator prey sort of. And I realize that's tropish, but given that, you know, what Halloween is, you, you almost have to like use those tropes to your advantage and at least have a. So I, I didn't like that. In the third one, he sort of stumbles onto he's like easily psyched out by her. Right. I, I don't know. It. It feels dissatisfying yeah. as an ending, even though he dies. Awesome. Oh. Yeah. I feel like it would have been cool if playing on the cat and mouse like trope, if they just did like w- the movie was just one long take, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That would have been cool. I agree. Well, I mean, f- you. I thought what they were going to do at the end of this one was flip the original original, the 78 original, and have Michael go through what Lori went through of her kind of terrorizing yeah. him, right? Huh. That would have been interesting. But to your point, there was no – they haven't seen each other since she locked him in the basement in the first one. Like in the – the not the first one, but you know what yeah, I mean. Yeah, uh, The yeah. first in the reboot. And so now he's back and it's like they're having this confrontation that's coming from nothing. Right. And the part of it that I did like about it was that it did feel kind of small and intimate as two 75-year-old people fighting each other, like, probably should. Like, I think there should be a sadness to it because Lori is kind of to the point where she realized this is, she has allowed this to define her life. And it's kind of pathetic. Like, uh, there's a patheticness to two people whose whole life has depended on this. Like, the reason for living, both of them, was this. And now it's like coming to an end. And when you're 75 and that's happening, it's just not as big. You're not like flipping around tables. You're just like, ah, the refrigerator's on my legs. Um, And it just, they needed to deliver that satisfying ending. And I don't know that there would have been a really good way to do it of Lori finally kills Michael. That's fair. But you would have had to set it up at least in the second movie where it feels like because the first movie did the cool thing of like she made her house the trap and he walked right into the trap and it it worked perfectly the way that she's been setting it up for 40 years and she was right so like that that dynamic you can't really do that again for the third movie it's like blowing up the death star in return of the jedi <laughs> yeah where it's like yeah cool but we, we saw it before already. like this uh, okay yay like we're excited and the death star is more powerful okay uh but if you're going to do something different make it different yeah. or just let it be not have done that in the first movie like if you ended the trilogy with what they did in the first movie i think people would have been super satisfied yeah. they should put it in the second movie so it would have echoed what happened in the sequel original number 2 yeah, sure. very much so. Yeah. I I wonder John hearing you say that too if if even they had uh using the Corey character from first to third mm. if they had very subtly set him up to be the continuation of Michael to continue terrorizing Lori right. as opposed to using him in this in your face sort of, you know, he's he's evil personified now. If you have this cathartic showdown between Lori and Michael. She has this sense of relief. Michael's gone. She releases her memoir, but then they, along the way, there were breadcrumbs from first to third that sort of lead you down the path that 
Corey is the next one, right? And then you yeah. still end with that with that breath and the the alleyway shots and the shadow shots, and it's like, but who could it be? And but then you go back to the first and second movie, and you're like, oh wait a minute, they've been setting us up for this ending from the start. See, and that's why I feel like they didn't begin with the end in mind. They just sort of got in there and they were like, well, we got to make one movie. Well, now we got to make a second one. So like, what do we do? And then we've got to like close it out. So how do we do that? I don't, I don't know. They should have made the new Michael a little kid again. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, that would have been. Yeah. Someone likes to stabs Lori to death. They should have made it the kid that fell off the balcony. Yeah. 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 Just like just hacking away and Lori. That's the closing oh, shot yeah. of the trilogy. Oh, that's wild. Someone pay me. That would have been amazing. Movies, please. <laughs> Dude, that would have. No, seriously. It would have been like a, a throw, like an Easter egg to Halloween four. Yeah. Where Jamie's character right. kills, what, her, her mom or her aunt, something like yeah, that in the yeah. bathtub. And Donald Pleasant and goes like, like, oh, like, no. Oh, no. Yes. Oh, no. And he's like, he's the evil is back. <laughs> the evil no, is no, back. No. Oh, man. He should have yeah. won so many Oscars. Just for that role, like, oh, Donald Pleasant's such a good actor, too. Yeah. Like, he's, yes. man, that he's known for, like, this manic Dr. Loomis is kind of tragic a little bit. Yeah. Although it, I love it for the lore. Just as obsessed. I'm I'm Chris's writing manager now <laughs> because Chris absolutely nailed it. Like, absolutely nailed it up. That would be so yeah. cool because I don't think they realize that we as Halloween fans – even if we're not Michael Myers fans are happier when there's a, a shape out there. Yeah. We like the creepiness that evil, I, I mean, we don't like it, but the world in which we live is that evil is lurking out yeah. there. Yeah. And so by trying to close the loop, it was just kind of like, eh, okay. The idea that all of this started over. Yeah. yeah. Is would be the like, yeah. Boom. And that Corey was and just it, like a red herring. Yeah. Yeah. And even the movie title would have been a red herring, you know, Halloween ends, but does it, it ends in one sense, but it continues in a whole nother, you know, and you, you sort of left to fill in the gaps. And I feel like it opens up that universe to explore different, different stories, that kind of thing, you know, which I realized there, and maybe that's it. Maybe, you know, there is no Halloween without Michael Myers, you know, the iconic Michael Myers, but Come on, we we are a fickle audience, right? Like we we are the audience that will gripe and complain that oh, you know, they it it's not Halloween without Michael Myers, and then the next the next part of the universe opens up, and we're like, we're going to spend five hundred million dollars to go watch it twelve times, like so. Nope. <laughs> so we are hypocrites in our own right, in that sense, right? Like we're going to complain, but then we're going to be the first one in line to buy tickets to go see what's next. You know, yeah. I feel like it would have been fine. I don't know that there was there's an ending that they could have done that would have satisfied even a majority of people. No, but we're at a place where we know Michael Myers is coming back. Like he's like Dracula at this point where you to me killing him and started trying to start something new is worth a try because if the something new doesn't work out, we just reboot Michael right. Myers like whatever. Like it, none of us are going this is the last time we're ever going to see Michael Myers. Right. Like he's going to be back. Jason is going to be back. Right. Freddie is going to be back. Just like the mummy is always back. The Wolfman is always back. It just, it's just a different iteration. There's of no getting rid of it. Right. And we live in an era of movie making where they retcon just about everything. Like from one movie to the next, from one sequel to the next, 
you know, they fill in plot holes with, you know, in ways that don't make sense, but progress, you know, move the story forward. I feel like they could have done, they can do that and have left it open-ended, you know? All right. So let's talk about, we've got a little bit of time. Let's talk about what the movie, the movie's view of trauma. I know that because it's a big part of it, especially in that third one where it's years after the, the first two movies take place. You've got multiple sets of trauma that have happened, right? Michael Myers has gone on his rampage, but then Corey has sort of shocked the community again with, you know, the accidental death of, you know, Jeremy's character. I didn't like the portrayal of trauma in this movie, in these movies. I thought it was a massive missed opportunity to sort of elevate Halloween into a larger discussion. All right, I'll pause. I, I mean, what did it say? Like, it feels like the com, the uh, like the Corey Allison relationship didn't feel like it was ever kind of examined, and their trauma bonding was very cringy and very like not even cool when they were getting together. There wasn't something like sexy about it. Right. Like sometimes you can make that like sexy of like, yeah, we're giving into our passions, right? There was just something that was very like, and maybe because I'm old now and not a teenager, I was just very like, ooh, that's a bad idea. Like, even if he's not a murderer, like you've known each other for two days. Like, it's weird. And so the trauma bonding part, I think was, it just made that relationship kind of cringy. And I don't know that, like Lori writing a book really and kind of her just kind of going, Hey, her and deputy Frank are now going to like date each other, which is also and weird. It's be cool. And it's like, okay, like, I guess that's what she was looking for, but he was kind of there the whole time. Like that could have been like, it didn't have to be like, this. like he was and there it, it was her whole cute, life. Though. It's not yeah. even that he just showed up. Like he was there the whole 40 years. You guys shop at the same grocery store. dude. Like, come yeah. on. <laughs> and it took Michael to like bring you guys to, and then lying in a hospital bed next to each other. Like, cause he was supposed to be dead in the first movie. Right. Obviously they kind of had to like somehow roll that right. back to get this Lori love story, which is, I thought was kind of cute of doing a love story between two 70 plus year old people. It, like that's cool. It's sort of, uh, it sort of brought the first movie, the original movie full circle where she has this thing with like Ben Tramer and mm-hmm. you know, she's like, he loves me. He loves me not like you get that sense of this, you know, heart sick, love sick person. It sort yeah. of brings that full circle. I'm unsatisfied guys. This is not a, this is not a Snickers bar when I'm hungry. <laughs> yeah sorry i have to take off oh you're good you're good you're good you're good love you guys this is awesome we need to do this again we'll do it for the next uh next halloween trilogy <laughs> that we write ourselves Written by chris that's lee it. that's it we write it ourselves chris you write it john you narrate it i will just uh you want to be my i don't know what i'll do <laughs> finance it <laughs> oh god you'll finance it <laughs> i was gonna say i'll collect the paycheck <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you find something for me to do and we'll take care of it <laughs> You're the executive producer. Oh, man. Something. See you later, All fellas. Right, John. Have a good day. Chris, do you want to finish out the episode? We got maybe four or five minutes. Yeah, let's do it. All right. So what what was your thought on on trauma? I was trying to see where it fit into the context because, you know, this is a post-COVID movie, right? Coming out of 2022. Um, so it, it seems like – I'm not sure if Michael Myers, Corey, you know, it could represent just, you know, the mass shooter phenomenon that the Corey could – Totally, totally fit into that kind of narrative. 
I thought they were saying some pretty interesting things. When a community experiences trauma, people become unfriendlier. They become more aggressive, more violent. And it kind of reflects what's going on in the world. You know, increase in auto-related deaths, increase in gun violence, increase in all sorts of violence. And um, yeah, it makes us do irrational things. And so I don't think the movie ever says anything beyond that, which I wish they did. It almost excuses the trauma, you know? Yeah. They seem to be saying something about Allison's choice of men. It's not healthy. You know, she dates the really gross police officer, Doug, who looks like he's like 20, 30 years older than her. Yeah. I was like, you dated this dude (laughs) in college. Might have been in the original movie. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, like, she's probably 20. She just graduated college and is working as a nurse. Like, what's going on? Corey became the way he is because, you know, he had a terrible mom who was very controlling. And she say, she was saying, like, Corey became like this because the town needed a new boogeyman after uh, Michael went away. I think it was just trying to find easy answers for really complicated uh, questions. And I don't think it had anything meaningful to say about trauma, except that it does bad things to you. I agree. It feels like it took a complex like conversation and flattened it and yeah. reduced it to its... Uh its most palatable form. Yeah. Um, which is not a really, it's a really disingenuous way to have a conversation. It's really hard to recognize what they're trying to do here and what they're trying to say. I don't like the trauma bonding in, in the movie at all. Uh, I think the, the relationship between, you know, Corey and Allison is just, it's bad news. And I think she, she keys in on that a little bit when she says, you know, I just felt like, you know, we could relate to one another as victims of tragedy. And it's like, excuse me. (laughs) So like, you don't actually like the guy. You're just need someone to be codependent with, which is not, that's a really unhealthy way to relate to a person, you know? And I I thought the, uh, so I, I had, I struggled with that. I thought the, the bullying concept was really overwrought. Yeah. It it really tried to do too much. These people are in the marching band. Where did that come from? (laughs) Yeah. Like, you know, and I'm not I'm not downplaying or minimizing bullying. Like it's a problem. It's a real problem, for sure. But it, it almost felt like they used bullying as the uh the catalyst for like this is why Corey is the way he is. Yeah. And so he's bullied at home, he's bullied at school, he's bullied when he goes out, he can't enjoy himself, and so the natural reaction is that he's just gonna start taking people out. And that's a really I think to me a dangerous way to have the conversation. Because the truth is is that you know, there are, there are lots of folks who are bullied. There are lots of folks who are marginalized, who keep their wits about them. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and they don't resort to the most violent ends possible, Yeah, you know? And so I I feel like that movie, this movie needed, it it felt like a scapegoat. They needed a scapegoat and they found it in the cheapest way possible just to progress the story. And I, I like, those are missed opportunities for me, you know? They really are like they could have taken some time to develop a legitimate story arc yeah. for the community itself and show how the community has maybe become uh, more apprehensive. Maybe they, you know, for, I don't know, this is just off the top of the head. Maybe, you know, for Halloween the days leading into Halloween, they enact the equivalent of like martial law where they don't celebrate Halloween yeah. because it's too dangerous. And they show, you know, you see what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, and they navigate the story that way. And, but this just felt. Yeah, Hedenfield never like, feels like a character. No, it doesn't. Yeah, in the way it that doesn't. 
you know, in other movies where, you know, Gotham has a life of its own. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. And, and it's tough because when, when Corey goes on his rampage, you almost feel like it's justified. Like, and that's a scary place too to sort of, you know, resonate with. It's like, yeah, like they deserved it. These people deserve to get run over and like blown up with a blow. Like that's terrible, you know? And so I didn't like that they placed blame in the wrong place and then they forced you to have empathy for the wrong things. This, you know, the whole thing about Michael's aura is that his evil is inexplicable, right? Right. And they were getting that at that at the uh, at the beginning of the first movie. These podcasters were like, "We don't understand why he's like this," and um, that's a really terrible British accent. But um, yeah, and they've been trying to figure out for forty years, and Doctor Loomis came to the conclusion he's just pure evil. Right. And so to try to take the third movie to kind of explain how someone becomes like this kind of defeats the purpose right. in the first place. And so it's true. I think that's why, you know, I was, you know, was joking about it earlier, but to, for a kid to take up the mantle of the shape would have really carried on the legacy of the movie. It really understands oh, kind of like the, the point of evil that even Laurie was trying to make, you know, there are two kinds of evils. There's, you know, the external force and the, the evil that lives inside of us. And we don't know. Yeah, if Corey was like Allison's brother, that would have completed the um, the legacy. But yeah, they don't really get that. They really don't. And you know, evil is indiscriminate in some ways, right? It doesn't doesn't necessarily pick and choose who and what is going to be a target. Yeah, it just sort of you know, it just does what it does. Yeah. And so this this felt a little bit more picking and choosing. Yeah. And I, I didn't I didn't like that. You know, because at the end of the day, Corey's character is doing evil things. Yeah. But it's almost as if the movie says, well, he's he's okay to do evil things because evil has been done to him. So yeah, he gets back know, at all the fire with fire. Either. Right. And that's not that's not a good message, guys. Like that's uh, you know, that's a problem. <laughs> yeah. If we fought fire with fire, there's not a whole lot left by the time we all go scorched earth. So I felt like the movie could have said some things, some helpful things it didn't. I feel like maybe it glorified the violence a little bit. And I realize we're watching a, a slasher horror movie, so that's not lost on me. But it, you know, coming off the episode we just did on Hereditary, where there were some really good things the movie said about some really difficult topics, horror can be elevated to the point where it takes even tropes and makes them useful yeah. in conversation. And this didn't didn't do that. So yeah. And here's the thing. I really liked the trilogy minus the second movie. As a whole, I thought the trilogy was entertaining. But where it could have had some deep themes, I think it it stays in the uh, in the shallow end of the pool. Yeah. You know. I, I think they were trying too hard to do something new that they kind of yeah. lost sight. And I just had a thought. I'm trying to claw it back out. <laughs> Shoot. No, it's gone. Uh, it'll come to you at like two in the morning when you're trying to sleep. I know. Oh, That's man. how it always happens. No. Uh, all right, guys. Well, we're we're over an hour in. Uh, this was this has been a good one. John had to step away uh, for a, for a quick family thing, um, but so you won't hear his voice. Where is it? Where's my goodbye. idea? <laughs> <laughs> Chris is going to text me in a few hours, yeah. and then we might we might have like this weird addendum at the end of this episode <laughs> where Chris's idea is like you say goodbye. You hear the the outro music and then like like a post credit scene, Chris's idea, <laughs> and then it fades to black again. 
Oh, well. man. Oh, well. All right. Well, guys, thanks for tuning in. Uh, this was a, a sort of a bonus episode of uh, the Har Lab. Next week, we are doing, I believe we're doing Midsummer, Chris. Is that right? Oh, shoot. That's I the think next so. one. Yeah. I think it's Midsummer, which is a really good follow up to Hereditary. So tune one of the in, goats guys. Of horror movies. One of the goats of horror movies for sure. Oh, no. We're doing the host. CGI doesn't hold up, unfortunately, but um, it's a good movie. All right, guys, stream us where you find your uh, your favorite podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Apple, Google Podcasts, uh, iHeartRadio, Amazon, Pandora. Be sure to like, follow, subscribe, leave us a five-star review. Definitely helps. Chris has his hand raised. I, I remember. See it, but I can. I think, <laughs> I think they were trying to portray Corey as a tragic figure. They were. Yeah. I think sure. if they were doing some kind of tragedy, because, you know, the, tra- all, the thing about tragedy is the characters can't help themselves. They always go back to their tragic flaw. I think they should have made Lori a less, like her trauma comes back and she ends up screwing things over again. I think that's what it would have made a more interesting storyline. Just keep it, bring it back to Lori and Michael, because that's always been the threat throughout the Halloween yeah, movies. Yeah, anyway. I like it. Yeah. I I think they, tra- I think you're right. They tried to make him a tragic figure. I think, I think Allison, I think everyone should have died. Everyone that Lori cared about. I mean, they came close. They came close. Yeah. They came close for sure. I mean, the husband or the, yeah, Allison's dad in the first movie, Allison's mom in yeah. the second one. She comes close a few times in the, in each movie, but never actually, you know, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I like, I didn't like the tragic figure approach for Corey. They sort of, they sort of led you and then they took it back. So like, he's this tragic figure, but then he's like, if I can't have Allison, no one can. And then he stabs himself in the neck and it's like, what am I supposed to feel for you right now? Like you've just gone on a murder spree. You want to, I don't know. I, I was conflicted. I, I like the concept of the yeah. character. I don't like the execution of the character. Uh, no pun intended. All right, guys. Thanks for tuning in. We will catch you next week in the Horror Lab. See you then.